So welcome to the Brand Architect Podcast, tuning in all the way from sunny Miami with the one and only Chris Russ, who is uh, joining us today from London, freezing in London, isn't it, Chris? Yes, um, I do. Th- I'm, I'm from the beach in South Carolina, Folly Beach. So anywhere I go in the world, it's it needs to be warm. And I don't like London in the, in the wintertime. <laughs> you don't like, but we do love London for so many other different reasons. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for those who don't know, so you are producing my show, The Brand Architect, but even more so you are helping me to build a very substantial business model that goes way beyond podcasting. Your acumen is quite impressive. And Chris, I think you belong to that uh, team of entrepreneurs that is so low-key. You don't ever um, Mm. showcase on social media platforms what exactly your acumen is. You are able to broker over $2 billion in deals to date, everything related to sales, marketing, online platforms, educational platforms. I have to ask you, why is it that you stay under the radar so much? Because you could just show off very easily. Well, I found that the humble don't stumble. And if you're humble and you don't really have to promote yourself in a certain light, when you're good, you have to tell everybody. When you're great, people tell you. When you're looking at different areas of expertise and some of the things that I have accomplished over the years, I've always been the guy that was sought out to make more of an impact in their organizations on a billion dollar type of level. So, and I'm not trying to say that as a way of sounding pompous, but I was your favorite entrepreneur sales guy 10 years ago before they became the entrepreneur they are today. And because a lot of entrepreneurs, I guess you would say, wanted to build like an online type of platform, they didn't have the structure in place when it looks at their organization within fulfillment. And I look at fulfillment ratios, completion ratios, success ratios, more than I look at how many people you're signing up for a program, product, service, good. So when I look at fulfillment, I'm looking at a entrepreneur, I'm looking at a business model, looking at them going, okay, you're trying to have a hundred new signups or a hundred thousand new signups, but how many of those are you passing and reviewing and going through your whole process, getting you placed into jobs, whatever the situation might be to make more money. So education platforms, you mentioned this, FAFSAs is financial aid. In order to keep your national accreditations in education, you have to pass and review over 98% of people going through your programs to get placed into jobs and also keeping your accreditations. If you don't have that type of structure, then you're going to lose money because now you can't leverage financial aid. You can't get government funding. So you have to pay out of pocket. So there's a lot of programs out there that have to pay I don't know, an entrepreneur or a company, $20,000 out of their pocket, but they can't leverage something like student, you know, financial aid and getting the government to pay half of your stuff. See my point? So that's why I was important for, I don't know, 90 something percent of people out there making money. I mean, look, you're talking about Brendan Bouchard's groups, Anthony Trust's groups, and all these people that I've known throughout the years that wanted to take themselves to the next level. In order to take themselves to the next level, they needed my expertise, which was very pinpoint on my niche. What I look for is not the people that are making money. How captivating are you? Are you passionate about really changing people's lives? When people ask me what I do for a living, I change lives. Next question. Because that's what I do. I change your life by 
implementing the structure in place to build a real solid foundation to scale. Chris, that's precisely the reason I signed up with you. I know that I was looking for the platforms to host my podcast. And a lot of people ask me, oh, why don't you do it yourself? And I say, listen, for me, this is not just a hobby. It's my great passion in life to connect Mm -hmm. with individuals and be in front of the camera and share my thoughts. But this is a business. I'm not doing this because I have nothing better to do, especially at this point in my life and career. So the reason specifically I decided to go with Winject Studio and with Chris Ross is because I realized your mindset, your business mind behind every project. And you love podcasting yourself, but I do. you look at it yeah. and you look at your talent and the people you enroll, you are very picky about the people who are content creators for the same reason that you are looking for them to monetize and also for your platform to monetize and offer opportunities of growth and scaling. Now, Chris, there's a lot of, on social media platforms, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who claim, you know, they talk about the beauty of entrepreneurship and the luxury. The reality of it is entrepreneurship is ugly. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say it this way. I know we pour our hearts into it and we love it, but there's nothing fancy about entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So you highlighted very specifically that having a structure, a business model, a process, a method of execution and understanding the fundamentals of continuously building a business, which you mentioned yourself, if you don't produce up to a certain percentage, then you're not going to get the financial aid, then you're not, Mm -hmm. you are going to come out of pocket. So you are losing money. What is your criteria of evaluation when you start brokering a deal? What exactly, I know obviously there's a lot of confidentiality, but are there any structural elements that you are looking into prior to deciding, okay, I'm going to work on this deal, it's worth it? Hmm. Looking at both sides of the buyer-seller relationships within the contract, looking at a contract or looking at some of the criteria and checkpoints for myself is this person, entrepreneur, is this business model set up to scale and how? And you're looking at, I'm looking at it backwards rather than looking at it, all the good stuff. Like when people tell me that I was a salesperson, (laughs) I laugh because I've never been in sales. I was in, I was in admissions. It's unethical to sell something to somebody that they don't want or need. So my job, I mean, at my business to know what Vivi wanted without Vivi, ever communicating it verbally to me. And how I did that is I would ask a lot of structured-based questions. Okay, based on what you're trying to present to the world, what problem are you solving and how fast? That's a different question than a lot of people would normally ask in that type of situation because I'm trying to get a real gauge on how well you can articulate your message, enough firepower to go to the other side and say, this is why you need this. So it gives me a lot of flexibility. When I'm looking at a a long-term deal, I never look at a short-term deal. I'm looking at both sides Mm -hmm. of the buyer-seller relationship and how can both sides win to where they both drop their guards going, okay, the other side actually has my best interest at heart. I've walked away from a lot of deals based upon the way they presented themselves in the negotiating process. We're always negotiating. You don't ever get what you deserve. In negotiating, you get what you negotiate, if that makes sense. I love that. And uh, Chris, I remember when I came to you, 
Um, and I shared what I want to do with my podcast. I was also mm-hmm. sharing with you, I want to do my online course with mm-hmm. such and such Kajabi platform. And so I want, and you were like, no, we are <laughs> going to bring everything under one umbrella. This gives me, this gives me so much competitive advantage because right now there's a company that is managing not only my content, but the talent that your team has, they already know me. So if I proceed with creating my online course with you, the team already knows me. They know my aesthetics. Essence of you. They know how I think. They know my personality. So now it's easier to continue to build by using the same structure and the same team and continuously develop into a new direction versus me working with different teams each time for every project. And especially now, Chris, we are seeing what happens in the world on a global scale. A method of execution and a process of of delegating, it's becoming more and more important. Uh, The world is becoming increasingly, I think, conflictual, but it also opens opportunity for those who have an organized mind and Mm. a tremendous team. So, Chris, in your view, how do you select your team? You have some amazing ladies that I actually already work with, and your COO is amazing, Greg. Based on what criteria are you selecting your team, and how long are you keeping certain team members until you decide whether you keep them or you move them maybe to a different department? Mm, that's a great question, and I love the way that you structured that question. Yes, and shout outs to the people that are involved with Winject. Some of the people that I do have a part of Winject Studios come from my other corporation, and the reason why they come from my other corporation is because that one key word is trust. I trust in them that they're going to hold my expectations to their criteria of standards because I'm not the kind of person where if I have somebody involved to get to a certain outcome, there's, there's one thing that I always make a standard within my organization. If I have somebody, especially on a director's level, my job is to put them in a position to set up their next business and learn something from me to take on. So if they're hitting their goals or hitting their metrics, I give them an hour free or however long they need from me to work on something they want to work on themselves. So I really promote entrepreneurship within my organizations. Some of the people that have been around me for a very long time make a lot of money on their own without even having me a part of it. But they learn through that process and that that will help you take people and put them in a position to win. That's my number one priority within any organization that if I'm attached to as a CEO, is that my job is to put you in a position to win. That's my job. I and I am, yeah, I'm I willing to die. I'm willing to die. I'm sorry, Chris, just wanted to share this. So you are developing corporate entrepreneurs under the umbrella of your corporation. Exactly. And that's it. And that's a, Cause most people don't know, learn how to be a number two. They want to be a number one. But they don't know how to be a number two. But my job is to teach you how to be a number two, to be a number one. So who around you can you level up to pull with you? Does that make sense? So it makes it very difficult in today's marketplace where you see a lot of people that are trying to be a number one, where they can be a great number two, making millions of dollars by having structure in place. They don't want to leave me. They could. They don't want to because they believe in the mission, overall mission. 
You know, this is a gift, Chris, uh, to accept in a world where there's so much egocentric approach to everything. Yes. Everybody wants to be number one. And I created a reel at some point. <laughs> it says, stop claiming you're number one. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's not us who say we are number one. It's our results, our audiences, consumers, communities that determine whether we are number one or not. Now, uh, Chris, what I also wanted to highlight, we went live, I believe, last week. Uh, yeah. on Instagram for about an hour and Erin, uh, one of the ladies on your team, she watched everything and literally like I think five minutes after we finished the live, she captured about a minute and a half the best part from the live. And that's the type of people you have on your team. And I was shocked. I say, how did she, did she make a note? She literally took that part, that video, and she said, that's the best part. And that's also a testimonial to the type of people you have on your team. They have the ability not only to be sharp, but also to be very quick because mm. that's what gives you competitive advantage. It's not only if somebody takes two weeks, uh, a lot of, I would say, podcast companies here in, in, um, in, um, in the United States, they take weeks and then they finally edit something with you. Your team is on it. Right. Mm -hmm. I send them certain pictures. I say, we have, can we do a past podcast last minute? They do it because they see the opportunity right there. How do you incentivize people to be very quickly on their toes? Is it something, do you have certain type of meetings where you discuss the importance of uh, timing, delivering in timely manner, or simply you just selected them to begin with to be the best? That's a great question. Speed is king. Speed is always going to win no matter what speed. You can't coach speed. Wow. That's, you, can't, you can't coach speed, guys. You can't. You can't coach speed, but you can incentivize effort. There's two things that you can't buy anywhere. You can't learn. It comes within. That's effort and attitude. Those are two things you can't. I can't train someone to have. Effort, attitude. But I instill that within my organization that anybody touches a microphone or anybody cleans a bathroom, they'll put in effort and if they have the right attitude, I will put you in a position to win. Erin, like perfect example, just to speak on her. She's in, you know, obviously here in the UK now, uh, moved, but she got married, <laughs> met a Brit. The whole thing is she has learned through years about what I'd like to see and how to capture myself. Because, you know, you mentioned even before we hit record on this, I can go 50 different directions when I'm asked a question and trying to stay myself there. Like, oh, look, squirrel. Because my mind, that's how my mind works. But she's bought into the essence and the brand of Chris Ross or Winjek Studios because everything that comes from that is a byproduct of excellence. And that excellence, you can't coach speed. But they learned through um, trials, tribulations, and how I reward people is if they clip something or they go the extra mile, there's no roadblocks going that mile with me. If they do that, that's going to, even like from there, you're bringing it up right now. That probably raised your, I guess, opinion of me and my organization and going, wow, it's not like I asked her to do it. She'd made it happen. That's right? actually, that's very, um, that's a very important point to make. Uh, most of, I mean, tremendous talent, you don't have to ask them and give them tests. They are going to come to you if you have the right people on your team. And they'll say, hey, Chris, did you notice this? Have you seen this? Mm -hmm. Because no matter how smart um, the top guy is, the top G, right? You cannot cover everything. You have multiple avenues, multiple problems, issues to deal with on a daily basis. Every minute mm -hmm. there's something. You need those team players that are as an extra pair of eyes. You need them to come 
up with ideas. Uh, funny enough, I interviewed um, a, a lady who was an executive with, with Amazon. I just posted something. And she said that one of her interns at Amazon ended up, she, he came with an idea and the idea was turned into a $5 million dollar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. product. This is an intern, right? But you have to really select the right team. And that's what you have. So you have speed of implementation, you have a tremendous team to execute. And you also have talented people who are an extra pair of eyes, they see things that you might not see. Mm-hmm. Also, when you created the, um, uh, the images for my podcast, I gave your team the direction, right, which we discussed, it was black and white and red. And, and they saw, I think Erin and Sharon, they have the capacity to tap into someone's creativity. They're yes, they, they Every- do a lot. I train them on, and not to cut you off, but I train them on immersing themselves into their reels, their content, so they can get a grasp of your essence. I'm like, okay, that color red's not going to work. They need to be this color, and it's more bold, if you notice the coloring on this branding. And especially with what you do for a living and how well you've done with what you've done for a living, Aaron took that on board, was like, listen, I'm going to make sure that we're going to knock this out of the park. <laughs> so, and she did everything she does. Like even the late yesterday, you sent me something right for at the end of every reel to be like a, a small commercial. It captures my essence. I don't feel like I have to go back for an hour with your team and be like, no, you know what? It's not the right. Sh-. Everything, uh, you know, the, the visuals, the way they interact. And this, this is a great testimonial for the type of teams you are building. And that's why people should sign up with Winject Studios. You are not just getting a platform to host your product or your podcast, you are getting tremendous branding. You also have through proximity, through the power of proximity, access to my services to brand yourself mm-hmm. even to the next level. But you have a team, at a win-win team that ensures that they capture your essence, they perpetuate your brand, and they increase your influence and authority in the world because visuals are power. Right. Also, you are streaming every episode, right? People who work with you. It's 10 different channels of exposure, distribution channels. This is meaningful. Plus, we have access to your community, which is pretty powerful. As soon as I post something, your communities chime in and they tell me what they like, what they didn't like. This is power, right? So when you build this, because again, there are many platforms who are offering the same type of services you do, just not at your level. What was your thinking process? Did you already have in mind that you want to do the branding, everything to perfection, or it's something you step-by-step implemented? Well, that's a great question. The first two seasons or so of the Wimbledon Effect were only audio. And I had it structured within the two education platforms that I built. Okay. This is before 2020. And 2020 happened. Of course, the whole world changed. And then when I brokered the deal and I sold my two programs to the nationally accredited trade schools that run it, okay? And it's generated probably close to $30 million worth of revenue even since then, since I sold it, right? So which I do get a percentage in different pieces of it. And the reason why I'm, break- I'm speaking about this because I brokered that part of the deal where I was training 18,000 reps on how to sell it through my course, mm-hmm. well, through my podcast. So that's a distribution channel. So I quickly learned it's not about what I say and how great I am as a host. It's about how many people do I have out there that's going to reshare my stuff. Okay. So then when the deal went through, I was left with a kick-ass show with over 2 million downloads. (laughs) I was like, okay, what do I do now? So I started reaching out to these big names you're talking about. And they wanted to take a percentage off my show. And I'm like, no, this is my show came from my mind. These are my listeners. I have 2 million of them now. I want to get to this level. 
And you're telling me you're going to take 25% of everything I do? I'm a businessman first. Don't get it twisted. I'm not a mm -hmm. podcaster. Okay. And then I looked at the <laughs> contracts. I started look when I started to immerse myself into media, I realized it was set up very similar to a music industry where they're there mm -hmm. to help you increase listenership, but you don't realize in a piece of their marketing, they're remarketing and targeting their campaigns to the people that are listening to your show. That's where you see all these shows with these long ass commercials with sponsorships. And that's not the only way to monetize your show. And I was like, I see a pattern here. And that's what I do for mm -hmm. a living is I see patterns. I'm like, well, I saw a pattern. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to build this damn thing myself. And that's where the two-year journey of building Winjet. I started looking at people like yourself, uh, Samantha Duran, you know, obviously the ma major components and moving parts of Winjet. I don't need to be the best marketing person. I just need to have the best marketing component of Winjet and having that part of the obviously community to where I'm providing a marketplace where it's a safe marketplace where people aren't going to get scammed and just people calling themselves the best in the world of what they do, but they can't fulfill on their orders. So that's the reason why we can select our verified creators because I don't want you just because you have a microphone. It's not on you, it's in you. And a lot of people don't want to have to look at all the distribution channels. They don't want to do after the show arts and yet people like Mark Jenkins, the great Mark Jenkins that has so much to give the world, but doesn't have the time or the, mm -hmm. the time to do the due diligence to understand where he's in the right place to make money. Because he's already sought out one of the number one celebrity trainer in the world, but he has a message to share the world, share it with the world. And that's what we provide is your job is to show up, be great and blow into that microphone and say all the great things you do and we'll do the rest. It's like an ecosystem. What you created, um, I feel it's more like a um, an ecosystem where people are being taken to the next level. They bring the talent, they mm -hmm. bring their guests, obviously, but you further develop it into a business model, a revenue generating business model through partnerships, right. affiliates, partners, and so on. Now, what interests me, Chris, selling, even though you say I'm not a salesman, but the best entrepreneurs in the world, to For a certain sure. extent... They are salespeople because, first of all, you have to sell a business. So I want to talk about, um, for a moment, um, about two people that I absolutely love. Um, there are many that I absolutely love, but today specifically talking about this selling strategic approach, right? Um, we are talking about Steve Jobs in 2013 when he created that um, campaign, Think Different. To begin with, it was not think differently. It was think different, which, which contained a grammar mistake. So immediately it captured people. Mm -hmm. Not even one word in that campaign mentioned Apple or the products or anything. He was selling literally a vision. Mm -hmm. And why do I say selling it? Because first people were seduced by the movie itself. It was like, a, I think, a minute and a half. But secondly, you wanted almost to buy to invest in that vision because you felt if you're part of this power circle, mm -hmm. you are going to conquer the world. So in the essence, Steve Jobs was a branding and marketing genius and also a salesperson because look, his vision sold to these days. I mean, Apple is one of the greatest brands, right? The most successful brands in the world to these days. And it continues to expand because someone had a vision that sold it into the ability of people to buy the product and understand that vision and product tie in together. Mm -hmm. And I would love to, I would love for you to chime in and um, actually chime in on this particular person. And then I'm going to bring into the equation the other one. So I would love okay. to hear your thoughts. Okay. I, I love Steve Jobs, even when it goes back to the, the logo of Apple. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the logo of Apple. And everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's an apple has been bitten. 
What does that mean for ladies and gentlemen? What if you go back into the biblical days and talking about yes. that by biting the apple? Temptation. Biting the apple is your choice. You choose to bite the apple. Well, you're choosing to bite the apple on learning something new, right? And then obviously the, the fear of the unknown is well, one of the biggest fears of all time, unless it's controlled by another entity or person, right? And what he did very well is being able to present and articulate his ideas in a way for people to see that there's always a bigger picture that no one else can see but other than him. I, I love that. And I, I, I believe that also Steve Jobs was just almost like the Johnny Versace, I call him, of technology because he was the very first tech guy to think of technology looking fabulous. I mean, when you think about the iPhones, right, or um, the laptops, everything he created is gorgeous. It's almost mm -hmm. like a fashion statement. So I also give him a lot of props for the fact that he identified that, hey, I'm going to bring high-end fashion into tech and let's see what people are going to do. Remember the neon computers that he made? No, do I remember, don't. Do you remember those like the desktops that were like massive? Oh, the yes. only way to like make it look like an Apple computer was to make it look different than everybody else. So he started making these neon computers or like purple or green or whatever colors it was. When I remember when I was a kid, that's how I could identify an Apple computer. That's amazing, right? So he he was he tapped into our hearts and our mm -hmm. minds equally and in our pockets. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes usually. It starts with the visual. It says uh, statistics actually show that about three quarters of our attention of our brain is visually inclined. Mm -hmm. So we invest most likely in what we see uh, first. Now, well, I, I, I want to touch on this real quick because you mentioned it and this goes and ties into my core value as um, an entrepreneur, salesperson, or just even an individual. In order to provide value or to convince someone to do something, you need to first sell a vision yeah. and selling a vision is selling the overall bigger picture. You don't sell a product service or good. You sell what's going to happen after acquiring the product service and good. Okay. So if you're <laughs> selling the product service and good, now you're stuck on the different components or some of the things you're getting with the, with the service. Well, what if you don't need that? <laughs> you see my point? Mm -hmm. So people are so get caught on product knowledge selling and they're, they ask questions and they can't wait to interject on the other person and to try to sell something. Well, if you're selling a vision, you don't have to talk. There's been, I've brokered deals for five to $20 million. Okay. And I've sold products for, for 5k. I sold them all the same way. And how I've done it is I would sell the bigger picture. It's a, it's a strategy and a process, a thinking process. Mm -hmm. It's strategic thinking and also ability to tap into the consumer's minds and connect emotionally, yes. right? Most of the stuff, unless it's food or anything related to our existence, immediate existence, most of the stuff we buy, we buy because we are either enticed or seduced visually. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily need it. We, I mean, we don't necessarily need it. Yes, we want it. So um, another person that I would love to, to talk to you about is, <laughs> you already know, Andrew Tate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm not... You know, I'm not intending to say that I agree 100% with everything he says, but he's one of the greatest, I would say, branding and marketing geniuses of our times, but he's also a salesperson. And I want to ask you mm -hmm. here, when we think about when people are highly successful and smart, when they have a high IQ like yourself, we discussed that Andrew can communicate high level executive thoughts 
at a speed that, that you cannot imagine. But he understood that for most people, that's for 1% of the population that mm -hmm. has the ability to understand that level of high communication, high level communication. What he does, he understands that what most young men want, they want the cars and the girls. So he specifically took down the approach and diminished the approach and, and picked up a couple of products so can people can relate easier to the idea of success is actually acquiring this particular it's a, product. It's a powerful skill. It's a powerful skill. And I'll let you get finished on this, but it's a powerful skill to use something as an analogy where people can typically grasp on to see your point of view. And that's basically simplified for people, right? Mm -hmm. And we discussed this, Chris, before. Not everybody is at the level. Some people are still at the level of communication of a five grader. <laughs> and, and, and that's okay. Actually, Mark Jenkins, since you mentioned him, he speaks about it in, in his podcast a lot. That doesn't make them worse than us, the ones who communicate at a higher level. It just makes them who they are. So if we aim to tap into that consumer's mind, on, into that community, we have to communicate by leveraging their language. So I believe what Andrew Tate, I know he gets criticized a lot because he showcases a luxury lifestyle, but I feel like he only does that to communicate shock certain value. ideas, shock value, right? Mm. So let's don't diminish people's power just because they try to relate to people. They have to sell a vision by implementing and utilizing the verbiage of their consumers. You mm -hmm. can't only live at the high level, the luxury lifestyle, without understanding who's the person that, that finds this appealing, right? So Chris, through your own podcast, you are quite sassy at times, like some of your posts on social media are quite provocative. There's a lot of humor in it. Mm -hmm. I wonder, and I want to ask you, how do you think that, do you feel that people get that plenty of times you are actually joking and you're trying to no. push them out of the comfort zone. No, th that's the whole point by eradicating the number one statistic when it looks, when people look at content, I'm not trying to share, I'm trying to share a cryptid message with you and I'm using humor because it, it can intensify and detensify people's emotions. If I get too sassy, right? Where I'm going to get your attention before you hear what I have to say. Usually. Wow, that's so powerful. So for everyone who's watching this, I'm talking to Chris Russ, serial entrepreneur, owner of Winject Studios. You have to really tap into people's emotions mm -hmm. and get their attention, seduce them before you sell or communicate something more profound. 100%. That book, Chris. Um, oh, it's Art of Seduction. Robert Art of Green. Seduction. Isn't that tapping into sort of the same mindset? Mm -hmm. I started reading those books, to be honest with you, VP, to make sure that I wasn't crazy. Because right? <laughs> I actually understood the game of psychology. There's one book that I did read coming up in entrepreneurship, and it changed everything for me. Is Dr. Eric Byrne, Games People Play. And I recommend that book on, if anybody's listening oh, wow. to this podcast, I've recommended that book, and he wrote it back in his 60s. And because people are always playing a game, they're, they're typically running away from connection or running towards it. So only two ways. And once you understand the way that people think, you can control their emotions. And controlling their emotions, you have to look at their motive. And if you're looking at their motive, now they're going to either run away from connection or run towards it. So my job is to pick you out somewhere in the middle of that and figuring, okay, what does, what does Vivi really want without her telling me what you really want? Mm -hmm. And then I usually can trigger something. That's the key word for 2022. If I trigger something... I'm going to get your attention first before I even start telling you why you're here. And that's a, and that's a, 
a skill that you can acquire, but it takes a lot of intention and being very deliberate with your message. I love that. If you really, really, really want it, Spice Girls, if you really, yeah. really want it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. So we're talking about London and UK and uh, another great entrepreneur, by the way, Victoria Beckham. Um, I truly believe she's that. Phenomenal. I, she's She's you phenomenal. Know, you know what's interesting? Um, first of all, before I say the next sentence, I wanted to share that I absolutely adore Victoria Beckham. I think she was able to take herself to a level of excellence in a world where fashion fashion is tough. Mm -hmm. And she said it herself in an interview with uh, Business of Fashion, I think last month, she said, if I would have known how hard the fashion world is, I would have probably not have you know, gotten involved with it. She said, I just was so naive about it because I generally loved fashion. Um, now, her fashion empire is not doing as well as it should. And this is also public. So she was vocal about it as well. And I always wondered why, because I would say one of the most tasteful and incredible designers out there, she actually never went to design school, but her clothing pieces are just divine. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand when they say that David is funding part of her project. I don't understand why, because the woman is exceptional. If the way she presents herself, the, the way, way she, she dresses. is the way she sees the world. Amazing. Right? I mean, I know yeah. she's too sophisticated. I'm not scared to say that she's too sophisticated for our world, because in order for you to pull off a Victoria Beckham dress, you have to have like an incredible personality. You can't just be a bimbo uh, wanting to show off your breasts and legs because that's not what Victoria is all about. She's about sophistication, elegance. I absolutely love what she stands for. But that's, again, a testimonial of the world we live in. When you are a little bit too good, too sophisticated, you know, the world we live in is the Kardashians' world, whether we want it or not to admit it, right? Chris, um, I, I hope I'm not upsetting too many audiences by tapping into all these things, but I wanted to ask you, from your perspective, what we see in the world right now, in the world of entrepreneurship, we see a lot of mass-produced uh, uh, brands that have no meritocracy, that, mm. that, that were born almost out of the vacuum and still social media platforms leveraged them and promoted them because it's a money-making machine. What do you think is the secret sauce behind it? Is it that people feel those brands easily relatable? Because not everybody can be a Victoria Beckham, but a lot of girls might can, can aspire to be, let's say, a reality TV show that doesn't look as perfect. Do you think it's the ability to relate, to be relatable, that makes this mass-produced brand so successful? That's a great question. I think a lot of it has to do with being a part, and it's something else that Victoria Beckham has mastered, is being a part of conversations that she doesn't have to be a part of. Think about what I'm saying here. So she's able to be a part of conversations, just like this one that she has no idea who we are and how to get people to talk about you is to sometimes do things on a conservative type of level where they don't have to be that. Do you see my point? So if you do something that jumps out the box and you're showing a lot of titties and a lot of ass and a lot of things that get people's attention on social media today, if I see a lot of that, that means you have no value to give me. You have zero value and it's not sustainable. and It's not quantifiable. Right. So if you're looking at it, if you're not having to conform and step into the line of doing things to grasp people's attention, just based off of perception and the way visually you're seeing, and there's a bigger message, Steve Jobs mentioned that before, looking at the bigger picture when you go, I want to see the way that he sees the world. But if he, if you actually understood the way he saw the world, you probably freaked out a little bit. So he has to give it to you in doses. Yes. 
-hmm. So I think a lot of these brands and a lot of ones that can be scalable, right, to an astronomical type of levels, they're a little mysterious on the way they see the world. There's always something coming. Wow. Do you, do you, I hope that makes sense to your audience where you can't give everybody everything at once. You have to sometimes give it to them in doses from their level of understanding for them to see the way the world that you're trying to capture within a frame, right? So you look at framing. Framing is a massive tool when it comes to sales. You have pre-framing. You're setting up the frame, trying to paint the picture from the outside looking in. Then you're going into, okay, where I'm looking at frame, you have to reframe from their perception of their reality. Can you please explain more to me? Then you go into future framing and future pacing. And now I'm going to share a little bit more of my vision with you to grasp now from that perception, from that pre-frame to reframe. I love this very much because this is reminiscent of my father's business coaching. I grew up in a family that was always very strict. Mm -hmm. My grandparents raised me until I was seven. And then when I went to school, my parents took over and I was never allowed to get a B in school. It has to be, it has to be straight A. Even when I went to college, I was, I think, the second on the list. And at that time in Romania, there were just 20 people being admitted to study that particular segment I wanted to German and French. So it was quite, you know, I, I grew up with a father who was always, to these days, is very tough on me, which I love. I think mm -hmm. is the best thing. But he told me repeatedly the same thing, that you have to only unveil things at the right time, keep people surprised. And I always thought he's old-fashioned. I'm like, Papa, what are you talking about in a culture where everybody's showing off more than they have? And he said, no, you be different. Mm -hmm. that's the daughter I raised. And I think, uh, Chris, when I left the fashion world a few years ago, when I left Dolce & Gabbana, I realized how people wanted me so badly to just be a fashion girl who dresses in flamboyant clothing. it's easy clothing. for you because you're very attractive. It's easy for that. Do you see what I'm saying? Thank you. But, but you know, like it bothered me and until I started to, to speak about things that I was passionate about. And mm -hmm. my girlfriends, I have to give kudos to my Romanian girlfriend, Anka. She said... Why don't you talk like that on Instagram? You are like, when you are with us private, you are just you all fired up. Yeah. Yes. And, and you have to get out there. And still, I'm not out of my shell. I'm scared. I'm scared of my own, own thoughts sometimes. I'm also scared of the impact that it might have on audiences. And I'm also scared because with the freedom of speech right now being limited, I also want to stay within the coordinates of not being banned. Not because mm -hmm. I'm scared, uh, you know, just to for for i would say incentivizing purposes but i want to be relevant and it seems that if you speak up too much you are just gonna Shut disappear down. and i cannot afford to disappear if it makes sense um so but but um i, I do value what you have to say that incrementally you unveil uh, more and more and you keep people guessing the wow factor the element of surprise mm -hmm. uh, do you believe chris that moving forward i mean right now our society is sort of almost enslaved by the mass-produced brands by the kardashians and so on um by the way i just want to make it clear there are things i do love about Kim Kardashian. I love her line, span uh, not Spanx, no, sorry, Skims. It's amazing. I wear it. So I just want to make sure that people understand when I do criticize certain things, that doesn't mean I don't like those people. They are just certain things that help me to reframe my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about what happens, for instance, a Kardashian right now being the face of Dolce & Gabbana, even being part of orchestrating a Dolce & Gabbana fashion show, those people do not have the acumen, the experience or the credibility to do those things. Yet they are being leveraged by brands because it's a money-making machine. Do you believe in your heart that 
moving forward, we will start tapping back into value and sort of letting go of this instant gratification and putting on pedestal people that don't deserve to be there? That's an interesting question because I think consciously we want to say yes, it goes back to value, but I don't feel that we're in that era yet of stepping out of the shiny object syndrome because it's too, it almost at a point to where it's easy to show things provocative and get, get people's attention without saying anything. There's a lot of people out there would disagree with me because they want to disagree because they want to see the good into it. But I don't, I don't, I feel that we're too far off. We've, talked about biting the apple the world has bit mm -hmm. the apple and to the point to where there's only a core left of that apple yes in order to be able to provide more value you have to see the value within the first three seconds of having a conversation because we're in a goldfish type of mentality now where if you don't if i don't capture your attention within the first two seconds i lost you and losing people in that type of level, I mean, you're looking at it with Instagram, you're swiping up, mm -hmm. you're looking at it with anger birds, the same type of swipe, <laughs> right? This scientifically proven, it's pre-programming your mind to say nothing's good enough. Wow. That's so powerful. It's the same with dating online, right? Same thing. Nobody's good enough. Like mm -hmm. back in the day in the seventies or eighties, even early nineties, <laughs> that's the best time in the world. Because in only way for you to meet people, you had to know, you know, obviously be a part of that city, that state or whatever it was and be in, it's about your exposure. The problem right now, women don't need to compete with other women in their obviously state anymore. It's now worldwide and it's online. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've been, you know, obviously out to dinner with people and can just, I'm a, I'm a very observant person. <laughs> And I'll see people in a relationship with a woman and they're on Tinder or on different things looking yeah. at women because they're not there. It's almost at a point where they detensified everything else around them to where they're only seeking external, where they should be t seeking internal for self gratification. Right. And, and, I, and I think that ties back into what we value in today's world is how much money can you make or how how can I grasp your attention rather than what can I provide for you? Wow. So that's, uh, we are living certainly in a very challenging uh, society and we are, I mean, we are living under challenging times and circumstances as well. But I truly believe that at the end of the day, it's up to each of us to make a conscious decision to mm -hmm. do better. If every day I do better than yesterday, I contribute. And I think we underestimate the power we have as individuals to change the world. I have a lot of talks with, with my friends and business associates and they say, wow, it's getting really bad out there. And I'm thinking, you know what? The one voice becomes a choir. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast as well. I say, mm -hmm. Chris, I want to bring value to people. I am deeply honored if, if my audiences are giving me their time to tap into my episodes because I feel like people are busy these days. And I feel like I feel the responsibility and accountability to offer value. And that's why I remember I, I shared with you, I say, Chris, I only want to bring 
people that I personally vet that I know that they are exactly who they say they are. They are right. super successful, super kind, not the wannabes or the Lamborghinis and of Instagram, because a lot of this is not real. A lot it's of these people life. don't have the luxurious lifestyle they portray out there. They rent cars, they rent homes and so on. So I feel a, a deep sense of responsibility. And I hope that each of us feels in their hearts every morning you wake up, how can I do better? Even if it's just 1% better than yesterday, it has a cumulative effect. And this is something I would, I wish, I, I would love for everyone to think about the ability to do self-awareness, self-assessment and see mm -hmm. how we can become better, even if 1% every day. So who also can you help today that provides you any type of value? Do you know what I mean? So yes. if you do something for somebody that has good intentions and you don't have to do it, that's putting more car karma into the world to eliminate the bad that you potentially have you done. See my point? Yeah. So you don't have to solve all the problems in the world, but do something for somebody that you don't get any type of clap from right so and I, and I see a lot of these people and you see it a lot on social media just to talk about social media they do these campaigns on social media giving money away and it's filmed mm -hmm. yes but would you still do it exactly would you right. there's a lot of there's a lot of things that i do for people that no one will ever know i'm very low-key very low-key and i think that has a lot to do with my upbringing i'll give you this i'll give you i'll give you the shirt off my back you know, for people, but you, but I would want to be able to do it for someone. And a lot of people out there in the world right now, they're not, they are able to do things for people, but they're looking for something they can gain from doing that. To be incentivized. Mm -hmm. Right. I think. Like, why would I, why would I do this for someone? Well, just to be a good person, but that's. And because it makes you happy. I think mm -hmm. um, I'm the type of person that it makes me happy to do even the little gifts um, it just makes me happy to see someone smiling, even if it's just a small thing, right? You, you make coffee for someone. So I take a lot of pride because I bought this new Nespresso machine and, and I tempt my friends. I say, come over and I'll make you the best coffee ever. And I put whipped cream on it and I put <laughs> pieces of chocolate. It's just because it makes me happy to see someone smile. It's a small gesture. It's just a coffee for God's sake. It's right. not you offering them, my you know, like a diamond ring or something. I'm sorry. My grandma used to say is that your only job is to put a smile on somebody's face. But that has like, like, look, we live in a society, Chris, where we have access to so much knowledge and power and money and the rate of suicidal is higher than ever. So mm -hmm. that should give us all some, something to think about. Right. You got, you got the guy that was on Ellen dancing for a living, was dancing 12 hours before he killed him. himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think people don't pay attention to the small gestures like this people who suffer they've been suffering for a while it's not just something that happens instantaneously but i think we have to remove our ego out of the equation and truly mm, agree. get to know people and that's what you and i chris did like before we actually i signed up um with your platform I would like to say that we also build a friendship and that was mm -hmm. a tremendous foundation for me to get to know your heart. You want to work with people who are not only financially incentivized, which is great because that's how we make money and survive mm -hmm. and have a great lifestyle. But I want to work with great people. I want to work with people who are family oriented, who have love in their hearts for their friends, for their associates. This is something that motivates me every day. 
the passion for life and for amazing people. And before we let you go, Chris, uh, this has been a conversation I could uh, probably have like a five hours type of mm -hmm. conversation that Patrick, but David had with Andrew because smart people, they always want to learn you more. I think, and, yeah. <laughs> right. So we could talk about selling and branding and marketing and podcasting and life all day long, but I would love for you to leave us with a couple of thoughts because it's the last few days of 2022 something to inspire us for 2023. It might sound like a cliche, but I think I see value in it. If you choose happiness over everything, you, you'll tend to win. But the problem within that, that statement, you're only going to do what you feel happy of doing if you feel it's worth your time and effort to do it. If I'm hoping that makes sense to people. If you start to audit how much time you waste in your day, then you start realizing how precious time is. And people are out there searching and seeking things that bring them some type of satisfaction and joy external, externally. But if you look internal for that type of satisfaction, joy, and happiness, you miss out on what the world's bringing you. There's opportunities that are hidden behind pain every single day. There's been most people in here in the UK, they're not really chatty in person. Mm -hmm. I'm from America and I'm Italian. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, <laughs> a lot of humor coming from me, especially with one liners and people sometimes go into restaurants or go into places of business and they ask how they're doing, but they don't wait for the actual response. You don't realize what that two minute conversation could have done for that person that maybe was in those type of suicidal thoughts and bringing someone to a point of laughter. You know how hard that is to do? Like, I don't know who this person is, but this person walked into my restaurant today and made me laugh for no reason and just walked off. Like, who is that person? And do you see my point of doing something that makes you happy? If you put the a small smile things, on someone's face, right? yeah. it's, it's always the small things that in the long run, my mom passed away and she gave me a little book and it says, uh, pay attention to the small things. One day you will find they are very meaningful. Mm -hmm. And now I think about all the small things I did with her, right? Like the little things that I was laughing about. And I thought at the time, I just, it's not that I took them for granted, but I didn't think of them as being meaningful now. And now I think, gosh, I wish I would have that second of laugh or you're right. So it's always the small things too that have a cumulative effect. Again, we are talking about it, whether it's business or life. Small things add up, small mm -hmm. gestures, small, a couple of words have a cumulative effect. Chris, this has been such a pleasure. So once again, tuning in from Miami to London with much love and passion for supporting others to achieve their dreams. And I'm hoping that through my podcast, The Brand Architect, you will find in your heart the passion to start your own. Whether it's a podcast, whether it's a project you want to do with me and Chris, Please feel free to reach out. We are here to support you, to show you love. And why not to help you make your dreams come true? Because as cliche as it might sound, it's always start with a small dream.